This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Kelly. Our guest this week is U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack next. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance now more than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. History will show 2014 brought a new farm bill, a tremendous increase in the production of bulk commodities and a rapid decline in their value as well as net farm income. Livestock producers saw better returns and strong consumer demand for meat. For the year ahead, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says the budget debate may challenge crop insurance and other risk management tools. Vilsack says the nation's trade agenda will need the full support of Congress in both multilateral trade agreements as well as bilateral trade with Cuba. Secretary Vilsack says agriculture needs to build on the positive momentum of last year. Well, Jeff, obviously 14 was a year of action in terms of getting the Farm Bill passed and implementing a good part of the Farm Bill. That developed uh, some interesting partnerships that we've had with producers and producer groups and and really a focus on innovation as well at USDA. Uh, We're still obviously implementing that farm bill and still seeing the benefits uh, in in rural America, $4.3 billion in disaster payments. Nearly 500,000 payments have been made to date. Dairy sign-up on the Dairy Margin Protection Program uh, was encouraged to see producers get more engaged in that. As the deadline approached on December 19th, we have nearly 50% of our dairy producers now participating in that program. Folks are looking forward, obviously, to making the election under ARC and PLC before March 31. We're going to be making decisions very uh, soon about the Regional Conservation Partnership. I think there's going to be a tremendous opportunity here for us to improve uh, soil health and water quality, uh, partnering with a variety of organizations to stretch those conservation dollars, uh, which is important and certainly a strong export uh, year last year and would expect a strong export year this year as well. Uh, so we're not only going to focus on, on finishing up our work on the farm bill, but we're also going to be looking at sort of the longer term. Uh, what uh, else do we need to do uh, to assist in improving access to water and, and, and water quality? What do we need to do to make sure that our soil is as healthy as it needs to be long term? Uh, what do we do about climate? Uh, where are we in terms of beginning farmers? And at, you know, as we see the aging nature of the farming population, as we, and as we see a lot of uh, widows uh, owning farmland, uh, getting up there in terms of uh, the, their age, uh, you know, this transfer of, of land ownership, that's an issue that I think uh, merits some discussion and some review by USDA so that we make sure our policies are doing everything uh, that we can to not only focus on the short term, 
but also the long-term health of American agriculture. If you're talking about the transition, does that bring up to debate again the inheritance tax along with tax reform in 2015? I, I think it clearly brings up uh, tax issues, uh, Jeff, and I will tell you, it's uh, probably from my perspective, it's less about the estate tax as it is more about the uh, about the income tax and the capital gains tax. I mean, the reality is a lot of this land has appreciated in value, and at this point in time, folks who own appreciated land really have very little tax incentive uh, uh, to uh, to sell it to a beginning farmer, to a new farmer, uh, or to sell it at all. Uh, they get a stepped-up basis when uh, when they pass away, so their heirs get uh, to be able to sell that land without uh, tax uh, income tax. So it, I think it's putting a, a hold on potentially some opportunities that could be created for beginning farmers. And I think we need to be a bit, a bit creative about uh, developing a tax system that maybe encourages beginning farmers to have access to land. Uh, and I think, again, it goes to the whole issue of whether our credit programs, our risk management programs, uh, are, are properly aligned uh, to make it a little bit easier for that next generation to, to get a foothold. Uh, we've taken some important steps with this farm bill, uh, but I don't think our job is done. Looking ahead here in 2015 with regard to the bulk commodities, you're in a surplus of corn, of soybeans, and wheat. Overall emphasizes the need for trade. How important is the administration uh, trade agenda and the Congress to support it? Well, it's one of those things that impacts not only the short term, but also the long term. Uh, we've got to have aggressive trade uh, opportunities. We have to continue to be aggressive on the trade front. Every dollar that we spend promoting trade at USDA generates $35 in activity, uh, and it is a, the export trade that will help us, uh, particularly in production agriculture. So it is a focus. Uh, in order for 2015 to be uh, another year of action and another year of partnership, uh, our hope is that uh, at, at some point in time the president receives what every other president has received recently, which is fast-track authority on these trade agreements. We hope to conclude the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, uh, and uh, we, it, it will be a solid, uh, strong agreement for agriculture, no question about that, and hopefully we'll get congressional support for it. And, you know, the, the initiative that the president announced with reference to Cuba, uh, I think, opens up uh, an expansion of opportunity that has been small. Uh, uh, one of the few things that we can trade uh, with Cuba is agricultural products, and we've done about $400 million in business. But I think with the, re the restrictions uh, being uh, eliminated or, or the barriers being removed, there's a, another opportunity for expanded trade opportunity with Cuba. Splitting those two apart, 12 countries, 40% of the global economy in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it seems as though the Japanese negotiator is caught between a rock and a hard place. As I understand, their government has said this is a list of commodities that won't be a part of a trade deal. Their economy is teetering on the close of recession. The rest of the countries need access to the Japanese market. Who blinks? Well, uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, folks will see that their, their long-term economic uh, future lies not in, in constricting uh, opportunity, but in expanding opportunity. Uh, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, we all benefit uh, if we structure these trade agreements properly. We've certainly seen that uh, with NAFTA in terms of the ag economies of Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. They've all basically seen increased activity. Uh, and I think the same thing will hold true for a Trans-Pacific Partnership. Look, this, as you say, 40% of gross domestic product internationally, uh, a third of all uh, global trade works through these countries. Hundreds of millions of new consumers, uh, emerging middle classes in many of these countries. This is an extraordinary opportunity. And frankly, you know, one thing we don't think about is that 
if this thing doesn't work, Jeff, it's not like nothing else happens. It, then China comes in and fills the void that we create by not getting an agreement done. That's something that Japan should be concerned about. It's something the other members of TPP should be concerned about. I think they would rather see greater balance in that region of the world. That's part of the president's rebalancing effort. Uh, we don't necessarily want to cede that area to China. Do you think their government will have to make a decision to give them a license to sign a deal? Well, I don't think there's any question the prime minister's basically got to bless. Uh, this is, as you indicated, a politically uh, uh, sensitive set of matters. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, the benefits to trade for Japan uh, obviously need to outweigh any challenges they may face. But so it's definitely a political decision, and, and our hope is that they see the wisdom of, of making that tough call. Look, trade agreements in every country are, uh, are politically difficult. Uh, because it does require us to convince folks that at the end of the day, we are all better off if we trade freely and fairly uh, and with, with high standard agreements, uh, that we don't cede the territory to China to t- come in and suggest that an Asian trade arrangement that doesn't c- create a loving, level playing field, certainly for American products. Some Pew research suggests that the timing may be better now for easing the embargo with regard to Cuba supporting the president's executive action. What's your if, if you were in front of a congressional committee on this and testimony, what would your thought be on Cuba? Because not only does our government have to change their mind in Congress, so does Cuba's. Well, look, Jeff, as I said, $400 million of economic activity with a, a series of barriers that made it virtually impossible to do business. There's no question there's a tremendous market upside market opportunity for poultry uh, for some of the bulk commodities that we grow in great abundance in the U.S. Uh, and there's just absolutely no question that they need agricultural products. We wouldn't put it at a disadvantage in terms of competing with South American agricultural products. That disadvantage has been removed somewhat. Let's take advantage of it. Let's be aggressive. It's only 90 miles away. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively easy market for us to service. The one area that we may have challenge in regard to selling to the world is, is our economy and other economies of the world. Our dollar now setting a nine-year mark against other currencies uh, in terms of strength a greater supply in Brazil and in Argentina. Clearly, there are some obstacles to global trade. There are, but uh, on the on the other side of the coin, uh, we're seeing substantially reduced uh, transportation expense uh, because of uh, what's going on on the oil side. Uh, that transportation expense should translate into us being continue to be competitive uh, from a from a, a pricing standpoint. And again, it's the quantity, the quality, it's the predictability and stability of American agriculture that I think we get to market. We did 21 trade shows last year with the promotion dollars that uh, Congress provided. Those 21 trade shows impacted a thousand organizations, uh, led to uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of immediate contracts and over a billion and a half dollars of expected activity. It, you know, it's those kinds of promotions, those kinds of aggressive efforts to showcase American agriculture that we need to continue to push. There is a point on the XL pipeline issue I'd like to ask. Uh, obviously, it's maybe one of the first issues the GOP Congress brings toward that may cross with the administration. Some have said if that pipeline were in place, it would take some of the pressure off of the rail system to handle oil and could handle more grain. Does that carry weight? Look, if, if we think that this pipeline uh, in and of, uh, of itself is going to reduce the stress that uh, we're seeing on our rail, then I don't think we're taking as comprehensive a view on the infrastructure needs of this country as we should. Uh, to me, what we ought to be focusing on uh, is, the, is the river system, uh, the navigation systems, the inlet navigation systems that we have in this country. They're antiquated. The, the, the lock and dam systems are old. 
they are not efficient. They are not as com- and will not be as competitive as some of our competitors who are investing billions of dollars in infrastructure. To me, what we really need to have is a comprehensive, long-term uh, transportation effort. It's difficult to do when uh, the transportation bill and the infrastructure bill gets uh, agreed upon and extended for six months at a time. The hope would be that uh, come May, uh, the Congress decides to actually provide a five-year program that will free up states to do long-term planning. It will provide resources for uh, more attention to the really critical infrastructure that needs to be uh, looked at if we're really interested in reducing the burden, if we're really interested in reducing costs and time. It looks like here in 2015 we'll be having some debates and discussion about food. And in the headlines lately, there have been some suggestions that a committee that offers recommendations to the USDA would like to introduce sustainability in the dietary guidelines from the Department of Agriculture. You know, I, I've seen that press, uh, Jeff, and I'm a little bit uh, puzzled by it I, I, because I have the, the recommendations have yet to be made. So I think it's a bit premature to, to predict what they will actually include. But in one sense, you obviously need to ask the question, whatever it is we're consuming in this country, will we continue to be able to produce enough of it to feed our people? Uh, that is a, a, an aspect of sustainability I think is legitimate uh, to ask. Uh, I think uh, I will be watching those guidelines very carefully uh, because at the end of the day, myself and the Secretary of Health and Human Services have to sign off on them. Uh, the bottom line is I think we need to have a better understanding of precisely what these guidelines are designed to do. Uh, you know, there there is the sen- sense that there's a one-size-fits-all, that uh, if, if every American did X, Y, and Z, according to the guidelines, they'd be, you know, healthy and happy. I, I think diet's a pretty uh, complicated thing. I think if you've got a heart condition or if you've got cancer or you are dealing with some kind of disease or illness, your diet issues may be a little bit different than um, than someone else's. If you're a youngster, uh, if you're an adolescent, if you're a, an elderly person, your diet uh, issues may be different. So what I'll be looking for is is whether or not we are structuring these dietary guidelines in a way that understands the complexity and the flexibility that's necessary in, in giving people some guidance on the decisions that uh, need to be made relative to food. Um, and, and I would hope that that's where, at the end of the day, the, uh, the committee ultimately lands. Looks like the budget bill that you were handed to fund uh, the USDA for the rest of the year did amend the school nutrition element on sodium and on whole grains. There is a bigger nutrition debate in 2015. What's at stake? Well, I think the health of our youngsters is at stake. I mean, we're beginning to see uh, a plateauing and a reduction of obesity rates among our kids. Uh, 30% of our kids uh, obese are at risk of being obese. Uh, you got military generals and, and, and re- retired admirals expressing concern about whether we'll have sufficient numbers uh, to service an all-volunteer military. Uh, no question that uh, academic performance is tied to, to kids' health. Um, and we're beginning to see, uh, uh, you know, significant acceptance of this. Uh, over 90% of school districts across the country have uh, embraced these uh, these new standards uh, and have found a way to to, to make it work. Uh, we've provided additional resources. Uh, we've provided additional money for school equipment uh, upgrades. Uh, we've even worked with some of the districts that are struggling uh, to try to meet these standards. Uh, we've paired them up with a mentoring uh, district that is similarly situated to show them creative ways to deal with uh, uh, this effort. We had a, a sort of a pilot effort in, at the University of Mississippi uh, with a number of uh, school districts. So we're going to continue to work to make this work. 
uh, continue to work to provide the flexibility from time to time that's needed. Uh, certainly, we saw the need for flexibility in whole grains, um, and we certainly understood the the, the sodium issue. Uh, you know, we'll continue to work with school districts. What we're deeply concerned about is taking a real step backward uh, of uh, understanding that uh, uh, that these nutrition guidelines were and established by a bipartisan support from Congress, uh, accepted by a vast majority of schools, is certainly beginning to reap uh, positive benefits for kids. We just don't want to take a step back. It's just it's just too important to the future of the country that we make sure these kids are healthy and happy and doing well in school. A couple of thoughts left here. A definition from the USDA on actively engaged in farming, and do you feel that you'll have to go to the mat to protect crop insurance in 2015 in the appropriations debate? Uh, well, first of all, on the on the issue of uh, actively engaged, the, I want to make sure that when we begin this conversation that people understand how limited the role will be relative to USDA and actively engaged. The way the Farm Bill was written, uh, it impacts and affects a very, very, very small percentage of operations. If it's a family farming operation, it, it does not, uh, you know, the definition is not, uh, it's exempted, all right? So what we're talking about are operations that are probably limited partnerships or general partnerships. Very few uh, farming operations uh, use that vehicle, so that's who we're dealing with in a very limited way. Uh, we're working on it. We'll get it done, uh, and we'll make sure that people understand that it has a limited application uh, uh, because of the way in which it was structured by Congress. Uh, I think it was obviously Congress wanted to st- make a statement uh, that wanted to make sure that people who took advantage uh, of Farm Bill programs were people that for whom the Farm Bill programs were really designed. Uh, that is, the people that are working the land, the people that depend on the land, the people who who uh, have been providing this enormous abundance uh, and oftentimes don't get uh, you know uh, uh, a fair share of that of that food dollar. Uh, when only 15, 16 percent of uh, every food dollar goes to a farmer, the, those are the people we're concerned about. Those are the people we're worried about. Those are the people we want to make sure are protected so they can stay in the land, they continue to be productive, they continue to, to support the value system of American agriculture. Uh, other issues, crop insurance, you know, we're working on the budget. Uh, there's no question that crop insurance is uh, today, will be tomorrow, uh, the linchpin of the safety net process and program. You know, there are circumstances and situations where there's a balance that has to be struck between the rest of the country and what is subsidized, if you will. But at the end of the day, uh, you're going to continue to see a commitment to crop insurance, and I don't have any question the Congress will continue that. Our thanks to U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Galley.